Good afternoon, everyone. This is a brand new episode of the Off Topical Podcast. I'm Gardner. And I'm Ryan. And, uh, and let's let's get into it. <laughs> uh, Ryan, and for people who don't know, this is Ryan Sipes. He's kind of uh, a mad lad in the open source world. That's what, right. That's right. Introduce yourself a little. What are your what, what's your open source cred? Yeah. So uh, I co-founded the um, open source digital assistant Mycroft. Um, I worked at System seventy six for a while. Um, I am now one of the uh, people who um, helps run the Thunderbird project, Mozilla Thunderbird project. And, Great project. Uh, been around forever i've been around <laughs> i mean it's it, since i was 14 so it's like i've got 17 years in contributing to open source communities including ubuntu um, elementary uh and a long list of other smaller ones and and uh, yeah that's that's who i am <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Uh, I first heard about you uh, in with Mycroft. Uh, I thought Mycroft was like the coolest idea because like when I first heard about the uh, Amazon Echo, I was like, I, I want one of those things just because like of the Star Trek future that it made me think of. And then I realized, oh, wait, I don't trust or like Amazon. <laughs> so the idea yeah. of Mycroft was really, really cool yeah. to me. What's crazy, uh, and I've said this a few places, but you know, I'll tell it again, is uh, when we started on Mycroft, Amazon had not actually announced the Echo, but like leaks had happened and people were had been talking about it and they said, oh, there's a device mm. and, uh, and it works really well. And what happened actually was um, because I was talk i started talking about mycroft and and by then i think they'd said like yeah this is coming but we i don't you know trying to dig into it you didn't know all the details of of uh what the echo was going to be like and then uh uh somebody who actually um joined our team and contributed for a while who had worked on um alexa and the echo and uh and it was then that we started to learn like yeah, wow. Like they poured a lot of money and time and effort into that thing and it's going to be really incredible, but it also was kind of like this makes our work even more important because you know, <laughs> it that's a completely closed uh piece of software of uh this device that you're not going to be able to hack or really get into the weeds with and so mm. we need like some some alternative and uh yeah, they clearly they did very well. Um, Mycroft is still around, and they're on the Mark II, which is their second device, um, and that's supposed to ship sometime, I think, late this year or early next year. And uh, yeah, anyway, tangent yeah. off topic. <laughs> that's but, the name of the podcast, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, that's super cool. So uh, I, I'm really excited for Mark II, uh, but. Uh, yeah. I, so, all right. What's what are the stories we're talking about today? So uh, we are going to start out talking about Steam Deck, just because there hasn't been an off-topical podcast for a while. Yeah. And so, if they're not following you somewhere else, they <laughs> haven't heard your take on this. And uh, <laughs> I've got a few thoughts of my own too. And then we're going to talk about GNOME and the kind of splash that was made there this past week. Uh, <laughs> 
payment processors. And now I guess in South Korea, they're going to allow third-party payment processors on Apple and maybe Google Play. And then, uh, and then Windows 11, and then uh, we've got a surprise. A mystery story. A mystery story. (laughs) I love it. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, let's jump into the Steam Deck because I I know you and I have talked about this off, uh, you know, off air about the Steam Deck and and like what we think about it. But um, I want to know, like, what's your initial impression of the Steam Deck? I was I was blown away. And that's kind of I kind of already had in my mind, like a picture of this device before they announced it. Yeah. Um, Thanks to your coverage and a few other places like we kind of had the inkling of what was coming and I wish we had recorded our conversation when we first talked about it because that was even (laughs) more fresh. Um, but when I I saw it and I was like, this is how you get Linux (laughs) into everyone's hands. Yep. And, uh, and the reason I kind of felt that was I thought it looked so cool. And then, uh, I showed it to my wife. And she was like, we have to buy one of those. She's a gamer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't know anything about it. Um, she's not, I mean, she, she enjoys Linux. She has to use it cause she's in my household, but you know, <laughs> she's not like a super fan like I am. And so just looking at the device itself, seeing she loves a control and, um, the Assassin's Creed games and she saw, you know, them mm-hmm. in the little trailer and she was like, she was like, we have to get this, like to be able to play those games on, on the go, like on an airplane or something that that's just amazing. Yeah. And so if that's her reaction, then I think this is going to turn, be a pretty mainstream device. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I actually posted a video about this on my main channel, um, yesterday, but I, I think that the steam deck is going to like change, not just like the gaming industry like whatever but like specifically it's going to change pc gaming i think um because there really hasn't been like a lowest common denominator in the pc space right there hasn't been like you know like for example grand theft auto 5 came out on like mid-generation like mid-transition between or, or maybe just at the tail end of the xbox 360 playstation 3 era right that game mm-hmm. was built like crazy uh like it, it was built specifically for the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 and then the PC port and the and the PS4 and uh, Xbox 1 ports were like way more advanced right but they were able to like cram this amazing open world game down onto the 360 and the PlayStation 3 because the hardware was ubiquitous, right? Like it was the same hardware and they had low level access to the hardware itself. Right. That kind right. of thing doesn't happen on PC because there, I mean, there isn't like that, like I'm saying, like I said, like the lowest common denominator, like right. you have to look at like the steam hardware survey and then build to like, you know, the 1080, you know, the GTX 1080 or whatever. Um, because that's like what most people have right now. But even then, you don't know, like, 
there's no way to tell like oh do they have a ryzen or do they have a you know an i9 like what do they have in their C- for a cpu you don't know what do they have for ram well, you don't know so you have to just kind of build to the to the apis and hope that it works and optimize it as much as you can but like it's really kind of a guessing game and i think that like the steam deck is actually going to like fill a, a, a gap that's been missing in the pc space where um you know because like the hardware is the same and it's going to be popular i, I think this thing's going to be crazy popular um there's going to be people developers are just going to be able to target this thing and not have to worry about um you know on the steam deck it's just going to work and that's something that yeah. the pc space has never had okay let me take that a step further first off Gardner, that's brilliant and i hadn't thought about it that way <laughs> But let me just like add a little bit of layer of whipped cream to that brilliance. Okay. Um, so think about this: Look, co- targeting the lowest common denominator. We've also got a software version of the lowest common denominator, yeah. and that's Proton. And until just now, until you talking about that, I didn't think about like Proton is also going to be this platform that yeah. you're just going to like because it's not just Linux that we're talking about either. Like if you're if you target Proton. My understanding is those games can also run on uh, on Mac, right? Like Mac has no. Proton support, is that right? It does no? not. <laughs> okay, well, you shut me down real fast. <laughs> but okay, um, but my argument is still that like uh, if you're targeting Proton, okay, like that can be a platform in and of itself. There are all these services that are rolling out, like Stadia is out there. Mm-hmm. What else? There's I'm sure the there Amazon are one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, Netflix and gaming. Like, which I, is I a don't joke. imagine. I don't imagine that that those games are running on top of in in on Windows servers. I don't know. Do you have any? Have you heard anything about that? I think I am Stadia specifically is running on Debian. I'm right? certain that. Uh, I know for a fact that uh, Stadia games are running on on Linux. They're not running on um, on, on a Windows. And are server. all of them native right now? Um, I believe I, I know for a fact that uh, Doom Eternal for Stadia is a native Linux port. Gotcha. I'm not sure about Destiny gotcha. um, or the other ones, but I'm I'm pretty sure they are actually. Now that I think about it, I'm wondering if some of these developers are going to just target. Um, Proton, you know, as as the way to get it on a platform other than Windows, and yeah. then ultimately that's that's what people are going to target. Which at first I was really, I mean, yeah, I would love every game to be native to Linux, but you know, if you can give developers the opportunity to spend the just a little effort <laughs> yeah and and not have to redo large parts of you know their game uh in order to have it work on on other platforms besides windows like i'm okay with that i'm okay with that so long as yeah. the experience is good here's the thing about proton okay a- a versus native linux okay what, like when when you say native Linux, like I I, I kind of had the same mindset for a long time. But when you say native Linux, like what are you talking about? You're talking about like yeah. Linux APIs, right? And yeah. 
And in a lot of ways, I think that a, a quote unquote native Linux game is suboptimal for proprietary video games because n- native Linux APIs are a moving target that change every three months. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Things break. I mean, so if they're, if they're going to bring a game to Linux, they should target the Steam uh, for Linux API, right? Uh, or yeah. the Steam Linux runtime. But like, by the same token, most game developers don't have the resources to hire Linux talent. And most of the people who have the talent to be able to develop a game for Linux would rather be working in IT where they make more money. So there isn't a lot of like financial incentive, at least yet, to, uh, to hire Linux developers specifically. But I think going forward, what's going to be very fascinating is once the install base for the Steam Deck is there, there will be the demand for major AAA titles two or three years from now on the Steam Deck. And a lot of developers yeah. are going to see the financial incentive of doing what Rockstar did with GTA Five on the 360 and the PS3. And they're going to be yeah, able well, to take advantage of the hardware because Valve will give them access, like to low level API, like like APIs in the system. I mean, they it's it's Linux. They have access to it. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. And they're going to be able to find ways to optimize on that platform then i think that in ways that they've never <laughs> had the ability to do yes on windows yep exactly um, but yeah man i'm so excited too because the the pitch to support you know our favorite platform is going to be become a lot easier when there mm-hmm. are a million plus two million devices floating around out there yeah and, and uh Wow, I think it's just gonna it's just gonna change everything, and and uh, I, it would be kind of fun. Um, although we should maybe do it next time, but like it'd be kind of fun to make a prediction about like what what people will be saying about the Steam Deck like four years from now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I think it's gonna have a lot of knock on effects that that uh, that are gonna be just like crazy um already you see like kind of steam deck clones on the marketplace yeah you see uh like i if steam os the new version of steam os hits like who else is going to ship steam up steam os devices right is that valve going to be cool with that i mean of course yeah but you know what uh what other types of experiences what we see built around that, especially now that it, the platform is much more mature than it was in 2013 or whenever <laughs> yeah. steam boxes were steam machines were oh announced. Oh God. Steam machines. Can I tell you a story about steam machines? <laughs> Go ahead, dude. Okay. So when, like when the steam machines were announced, this was before I had my YouTube channel. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, when the steam machines were announced, I was actually working as a janitor in uh, at a at a college. Okay, and I was like, uh, like this, they they dropped the 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 Steam Machines page like while I was at work, like in the middle of the day, and so uh, 
like I got an update because I had an RSS reader on my phone and like, come, like you know, news article, news outlets were picking up on the story about the steam machines. And I'm like, what the heck is a steam machine? And I'm like super stoked. So I run, I go off to the bathroom, like, and just like go into a stall and sit down, not even intending to do it, like to use the bathroom. I was just, I wanted to read this uninterrupted. <laughs> And I spent like <laughs> two hours like reading all the articles <laughs> and I got paid to do it. I was like, yeah, that's great. Steve. I, I uh, saw the announcement and I immediately uh, that day after, I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember what, what the order of events was, but essentially I saw the news and that day I went to micro center and bought all the stuff for like a new PC build, um, oh, nice. but a small one, like a little, um, uh, what's the board type? Um, the, the tiny micro one. ITX, ITX. Right. Yep. ITX. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And I brought it back and I built everything. And as soon as steam OS was available, like it was on there and, uh, I had like a few games I could play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but it was fun. And, uh, and it was really cool, and I was so excited about it. Unfortunately, I mean, it has consistently, you know, moved forward, and obviously Proton makes this so gr- such a great experience, actually. Like, you yeah. can experience so many games as they're supposed to be experienced through that. But, um, but I'm glad they stuck with it, because there was a yep. time there where I thought this was maybe going to die out. And instead, they've doubled down, and and they did it in the right way. So, yeah. Steam Deck, my prediction is it's going to be a huge success. Yeah, I th- I think that they've sold like two million already, maybe maybe one point five million, um, like in terms of pre-orders. I, I, yeah, I, I think like once they're, you're able to buy them at freaking Walmart or whatever, like that's when there, there there's going to be an inflection point um do you do you think that that's going to happen like i'm kind of i'm kind of skeptical that retailers are going to want to carry this thing i mean this is a kind of an aside but like you know the it's they're such a digital first company and who knows if they're even going to have you know cards with uh with games on them or anything like that like, so I'm curious if traditional retailers who kind of want people to come in and buy, buy physical copies of games and stuff are going to even carry this device. What do you think about that? Um, I have no doubt that you're going to be able to buy this thing on like Amazon, um, mm-hmm. probably through like GameStop.com, um, I think that you'll be able to buy this because you can already buy like steam um, gift cards or, or whatever on, if you go to GameStop, you can buy steam gift cards. And yeah. Um, so I, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if like there were like uh, steam deck game releases. Maybe they're just a key, but you go to the store and you buy a steam deck game like w- with a key. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you don't think there'll be preloaded SD cards? I I have thought that that might be a thing. Like, and I, when I I did that in one of my uh, unanswered questions videos, 
and I thought that that might be a thing. And everyone in the comments said I was wrong. But I think that that's a possibility for sure. I mean, if you look at how um, the SD cards work with the Steam Deck, it's like you pop it in and then it all the games that are on that SD card are in your library. If you eject it, all the games that were on the SD card are gone. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... Mm-hmm. I I think that that's a possibility. I I don't know like what would be in what would I mean there's a lot that would have to go into that, you know. So I'm not yeah, sure. I'm just curious. I yeah, I I just think like uh and maybe it's I would love to hear some of the conversations that have happened over at Valve around this because um if you want this stuff to just show up right alongside an Xbox and a PS4 and a retailer, I feel like you want to give them the most incentive possible, you know, to to put that in there, which I would think would be like, you know, people can come in and buy games, pop them yeah. in. And, yeah, but, you know, that's also really not Valve's way, I don't think. Right. Well, but here... Again, they're not a hard they haven't been much of a hardware manufacturer besides you know a couple right. of devices until this thing right think about it like this though i don't think they're trying to compete with the xbox series or the playstation 5 they're trying mm-hmm. to compete with the switch you know like and they're not and i think while most of the people who bought the steam deck you know in the pre-order were PC gamers. I think most of them were PC gamers. Mm-hmm. I don't think that most of them, like the vast majority of people who are going to buy it going forward are going to be PC gamers. I think they're people who have become accustomed to gaming on the go with the Switch. The Switch is like super popular. Like, And I took my Switch with me when I went out to Denver like two weeks ago. And... Uh, I just remember thinking the whole time I was playing it, I was like, I'd rather be playing on my on Steam Deck, you know. Yeah. So I, Valve Valve is competing against the the Switch, and if they can get this out into the market, then it's going to be people who are who have been waiting with bated breath for the Steam Pro. I mean the the Switch Pro. Yeah. That's who's going to buy this thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like, I, I think you, what you said was, was right though, where it's like, they need to, they need to like, I mean, because they're not in the hardware game, right? They need to be, they need to be more proactive with their fight. I think, because my biggest concern here is that the way valve has like fought quote unquote against Oculus has been pathetic. Like, PC VR is in an, is, is in kind of terrible shape right now, and yeah, a lot of that can be laid at the feet of Steam. Like Valve haven't like done enough, I don't, I don't think, to compete with Oculus, and so maybe I'm hoping that they've learned a lesson here that like that the Steam Deck needs to be positioned in a way in the market to compete with the Switch. And bring in console gamers because that's the appeal here. Like, 
I think all of the PC gamers who are going to buy the Switch probably already have. I mean, the Steam Deck have already bought the Steam Deck. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that initial interest is waning for PC gamers. I think the biggest thing is going to be going forward, bringing in console gamers into the PC gaming space. Yeah, I agree. And but I mean, this is the first step. You know, this is how you get there. Yeah. And uh, I told you. You know, the gangster move, but I don't think that they're going to do it just because I haven't seen anything that makes me think that this is going to happen is, uh, you know, there's there's this ability now to with just your your own computer to plug into external GPUs to plug into, you know, mm-hmm. these external components that that over USB-C, you know, really beef up your your machine um over um sorry under over USB-C but over Thunderbolt right yeah. and um the the potential like opportunity here too is you want to play your games in 4K at you know much higher quality settings you know that that dock <laughs> if it actually supplemented the power of the device you know, that would be a really awesome thing to be able to plug in and not just have like a low settings, you know, experience on your your tele your television, but actually like have a legitimately like high, high quality experience on your television. But who knows if they've I don't know. I haven't seen anything that gives me hope that that's kind of a, a road that they've decided to walk down, but yeah, as far as I know, the only USB port is USB 3.2, I think. So it's not USB 4. And Thunderbolt, like, I don't think I've ever seen a Ryzen processor that has Thunderbolt. Hmm. So I don't mean to dash your dreams again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, the Steam Deck as it stands will be interesting enough. Yeah. But... You know, the thing is, is like when I plug in my switch to my television, you know, it's occasionally like the game doesn't run as well as I would would want, you know, in that experience. But it's yeah. never like it's never really, in my experience, been game breaking. Um, But how how like I don't know, I just don't know how this is going to work whenever you you dock it to your 4K TV because you just want to play you know, sitting on your couch in the full experience mm-hmm. and and how that's going to be because that would be the console killer for me. Yeah. Is if my PlayStation was just, you know, just out of the picture entirely. I just have my Steam Deck. I can play it big screen or on the go. And that's that's just my gaming device for the most part. Yeah, I think I think honestly the way that it's going to end up shaking out is that um, I think Valve will at some point unlock um, the device when it's docked so that it can actually run, you know, at a higher clock speed. And when it does that, you'll be able to play most games in 1080p and then they will either uh, add or maybe it already supports it out of the box, but the the AMD's upscaling super resolution. 
for 4K. Gotcha. I think that's how it's going to shake out, but I don't know for sure. But we have been talking gotcha. about this for a half an hour, so we might want to move really? on to another oh, topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the wow. Steam Deck is just so cool. I could talk about it all day, man. I'm like so stoked about this thing. I think it'll come back in other episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Future. Yep. Definitely. For a while. So if they're still with us, uh, our, our faithful listeners, um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about GNOME. Uh, can you give us like the, the high-level description of, uh, of what happened this past week in GNOME world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, I posted a video a couple days ago, I think it was Monday, uh, about Tobias Bernard's um, blog post. Uh, he has a blog called Space and Meaning, and he's been doing a series that the name escapes me at the moment. Uh, but he's been talking about like the the way uh, Gnome makes decisions, and so I made a video about uh, this um, because I'm very interested in Gnome. I think Gnome is like the best desktop environment, not on Linux, but ever made. Like I think it's the best, um, and. When I, like, relayed some of the things that Tobias was saying in his blog post, people got a little miffed in the comments. Uh, one of the things he said was that um, every every uh, preference, every setting has a cost. And Gnome is trying to cut out as many costs as they can in order to, you know... And, and by doing by cutting out those preferences, they're able to um, fix the underlying problems that would make it so that someone needs to have the preference in the first place. Um, people didn't like that. People said, well, Linux is about choice and Gnome is taking your choices away, <laughs> which is like this is coming from like KDE users who don't understand you have a choice between Gnome or KDE or XFCE yeah. or LXDE or you know, budgie or whatever the heck else. So it's like, calm your tits. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, um, I, I think something else that Tobias said was like flat pack was the future. And I had the audacity to say, (laughs) I agree because honestly, flat pack is my favorite, uh, way of like having apps distributed now. Um, if you're, you know, I'm, I'm running Manjaro. And if you if you open up the Manjaro uh, repo manager, I don't even know what they call it anymore. Um, yeah. Like the graphical interface, you can enable flat packs, and mm-hmm. they just they integrate so well with uh, Manjaro with GNOME. It's like it's crazy. Um, Purism just sent me a laptop, and most of the applications that you install on PureOS are flat packs. Like, yep. it's, it's crazy to me. I love it. Let me tell you a little bit about Flatpak. I'm talking to you on a computer that I don't, I have, okay, so the things that aren't Flatpak are shorter than the list of things that are. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm on Arch, and uh, and I think the things that aren't Flatpak are like maybe Calculator. Um, the things that you just get out of the box, you know, when you install GNOME, in arch mm-hmm. um and that's it like the rest you know i i obviously 
like Thunderbird, Firefox, uh, Discord, um, LibreOffice, all of that stuff. That's that's all flat packing, and uh, I haven't really had any issues. None that none that uh, have bothered me. I mean, uh, I think Thunderbird, uh, which is something we're working on. Uh, if you hit save as, it by default wants to put it in some kind of temp directory, um, but. That's not really flat packs. <laughs> flat packs problem. Yeah. That's a that's a sign that we need to spend more time working with, uh, you know, our our uh, maintainers on making sure that we're using the right uh, portals. Is that what they call them in flat pack? I don't know. I can't remember. But yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially system integrations. But that's the only thing, and and I I love I love it as a I love it because your application layer is is separate from you know the nuts and bolts and uh there's actually like permissions that are requested through Flatpaks. imagine yeah. that yeah and they can be controlled and that's really great and so yeah um anyway we're we're on a tangent so so continue your story uh, i don't remember where i was going with the story i think the eventual you... thing i was going to say was <laughs> flat packs are the future and anyone who doesn't agree can suck it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have some thoughts there because, you know, this happens every so often. And I know we're just talking to, to the people who are going to always make these comments on every video. Mm-hmm. And, but like, Gnome is not taking away your freedom. Like if you, if you don't want, if you don't like where they're going, like there are more options now than there have ever been yep for quality desktops on linux mm-hmm. so just like choose Chill. a different one yeah yeah <laughs> and they're so they're so varied i mean they're like you know sometimes i pine for the opine for the days of uh the desktop cube yeah and like some Comp of that is. some of that crazy you know like fun stuff that was happening Back in like 2009, 2008, oh, yeah. maybe before that. I remember those but, days. Um, but I look now and you can just like make so many different choices about how you're going to, ha- what your desktop experience is going to be. And they're all, and there are so many quality ones. It's not just yeah. like one guy hacking, you know, in a, <laughs> on this this desktop this crazy desktop on its own although there are those Mm -hmm. but there are also a lot of a lot of desktops that are out there that have complete communities around them have are very feature complete and like if you don't like the direction gnome is going um either you know find a way that through extensions or whatever to to use it the way you want to or just just use an alternative and and there are plenty of great ones out there yeah yeah and and i would say though that also that like um just look at all of the linux distributions that use gnome by default like Mm -hmm. all of the major professional ones except for maybe elementary use gnome you know what i'm saying like yeah i mean manjaro like offers multiple spins and kde sounds like it's the the major like the actual primary one 
but like they have the GNOME desktop as well. But Ubuntu uses GNOME, Pop OS, Pure OS, um, uh, Debian uses GNOME, uh, uh, you know, Fedora uses GNOME. It's like all of the major ones. Like, so why, if you ask yourself, why is that the case? And it's because, like, GNOME has the best feature set, like, for the average user, I think. And and I think that, like, the, the like, KDE offers, like, a, um, a power user experience, to borrow the term from Microsoft. Like, <laughs> uh, and so, like, if you're interested in, like, customizing your desktop to make it look any way you so choose that's the one you want like kde if you want a a gpu composited desktop but like i don't know i don't know i i just like gnome for god's sakes i like gnome yeah well um generally i'm uh i'm i'm been taking this uh journey through um arch again Mm. Because it's just had been a long time since I had, you know, set up a machine kind of from scratch and decided on every little thing uh, as I did that. But uh, honestly, my daily driver for the past few years has been elementary. And uh, mm. and I like it because it's opinionated. And, those, yeah. and the, the experience, because it's opinionated the way the workflows that they've created are well thought out. And if once you kind of learn, you know, like how everything is set up, it, you can really be productive in it because the people who made it have spent a long time thinking about like, what is going to make a person productive? Yeah. What does make for a good desktop? And, um, so gnomes being a little opinionated and I think that'll probably make for a better experience um yeah so it's like yeah it's like uh no i think you're absolutely right about that it's like gnome is opinionated and they have decided this is how our desktop is going to operate based on the and that opinion and those decisions have been informed by um how they personally like the people who develop gnome think that a desktop should operate um yep and i'm not gonna like poo poo on kde because i i do like kde and a lot of the people that work there but like i think that there's just a profound difference between uh the philosophies between kde and gnome like uh kde's philosophy seems to be and i could be wrong about this but it seems to be like um let's take every desktop ui paradigm and put it into kde whether it makes sense or not you want to you want <laughs> you, you i think that's the sound of like a, a pitchforks and torches <laughs> <laughs> being lit on the internet like uh based on what you just said but carry on well no just think of like okay kde's kde's like settings manager the last time i used it it looked like the Mac OS settings manager, right? It had a, an icon and underneath it, it had text. And then you would click on that and then it would have uh, like, you know, sort of like the GNOME shell like style list on the left side. And then it was like, 
uh, Windows 9X tabs along the right side at the top. And and like it was just sub menus and tabs upon menus upon tabs and like all yeah, of the, yeah. and it's like n- you're doing that because that's how all of these other ones w- used to work in the past and gnome's like settings manager is just simpler and cleaner there's only like one sub menu or i guess there's two there's applications which takes you to uh, like to a list of all the applications and there's privacy which has like submenu stuff but the rest of it is like you just click on each one and you have a list of settings that you can change um and and i guess that that really does come back to like the the philosophy behind gnome where it's like um you know every preference has a cost and maybe sometimes the cost is finding the preference in the gui in the first place yeah and, uh, you know, based on my conversations with the elementary team and now, you know, the conversations we have in Thunderbird, because Thunderbird has a setting for everything you could want to do on a computer forever. Um, the the thing is, is it's much better to kill preferences and move what you could do to a better place, like to yeah. contextualize it, to take it out of you know, a sea of settings um, and actually like make the actions that you want to take a part of like the activity that you would take that action in. And it doesn't mean like that they're going to necessarily remove the complexity of the the desktop uh, environment, but just make it so that what you're trying to do is more contextual and not just hidden in a sea of preferences. Yeah. Um, Although... You know, uh, I'm sure also in that every preference has a cost. He also means like getting rid of the ability to do some things that like only a small fraction of users do on GNOME. But that, once again, that just means that your GNOME probably isn't your desktop. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Ultimately what that means. Yeah. And the other thing that he means by every preference has a cost is that like a small team developing gnome only has so much time and manpower that they can expend they only have so much time that they can uh, and manpower to to like implement a, a preference and then test every possible iteration of that te- of that preference being enabled or disabled with paired with other things that could interact with that preference and so yeah. every preference actually yeah. has like a manpower cost to it um, and that's one of the reasons that like GNOME doesn't officially support theming. It's because like GNOME wants to deliver this type of experience to its end users, right? Whatever that, whatever that, uh, might be, but you, they can't like go around and test every theme that changes every, like, you know, all these different colors across all these different applications, they can't do that. They want to deliver a more refined uh, and a more curated experience. And, you know, if that's not, if that, you know, if you want to take theming into your own hands, you can install um, tweak tool, you know, and you can put a theme, you yeah. can like force a theme on GNOME, but like, that's not supported out of the, like, they don't support that. Like, and that's a good thing. I think like, you know, it, if if system 76 decides hey we're going to 
theme GNOME to look like Pop! OS, then it becomes System 76's responsibility to support that platform style across all the apps that they have in their repo. You know? And I think yeah. that that's a good thing yeah. because that that means that like these experiences become better and more polished and more accessible um, when you're just using the, you know, the Adweta theme or if you're using, you know, one of the officially supported vendor styles. And that's yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And I, I agree. hear the pitchforks well, and torches. <laughs> 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 yeah i i uh i agree with everything you said in the video and i agree with what you're saying now um but and i would just remind people like linux is about is about choice yes and you have the choice to not use the, the software that that is not you know meeting your use case so yeah. Like, I mean, if you uh, want to use Flatpak, don't like whatever. Yeah. If you would, if you would rather use snap over Flatpak, go for it. There's a distro <laughs> for that. If if you'd rather compile all of your software from source, uh, there's a distro for that too, man. Like just why do you have to be so vitriolic? Why does everybody have to be so angry? You know, like I don't understand yeah. the anger. Like I just don't get it. So I, I, th- I say, as as you know, Gardner over here, I say everybody needs to calm down. That's what I say. Yeah. Because we're all, we're we're just a bunch of the cool dudes, and we're just doing our stuff, and we love what we do. That, and if that's yeah. not enough, then you can never be happy. Yeah, and you're not paying for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for, for real. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yep. Cool. Well, I think that's a good place to end that story. Uh, yeah, I, 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 but yeah, I do love GNOME, and uh, I think that it's been, uh, it's just, it's, it's fun. GNOME is great. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, South Korea real fast. Yeah, let's do it. Um, South Korea, so it's a it's it's a country. It's in the uh, it's it's in the other half of the world from us, the other hemisphere. Um, yep. Or I guess yeah, whatever. Let's <laughs> 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 uh, not go there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. We have. Uh, so the big thing here is that uh, South Korea just passed some new legislation that uh, is um, basically going to force Google and Apple to allow third-party payment systems on their platforms. Um, what do you think about this, man? Oh, I, I have actually very distinct thoughts on this. So, okay. So I have a little side project. And uh, I've been working on it for a year plus. Uh, you can go. You can go see it. It's at glance.money. That's the domain name. Ooh. And uh, it's a uh, it's a personal finance app. Um, and it's privacy respecting, because that was my issue with a lot of personal finance apps. Was like it's like okay, like I do want to see all my finances in place, 
from all my accounts and you know loan student loans whatever i just want to see them all in one place but i don't like that i'm just like arbitrarily giving company x you know all of that data and so you know i made that app and uh and it, and it has a subscription because it costs us money to use the apis to pull finance data and mm. it just gets pulled to your device you know but it's still yeah you have to pay for that api access right and uh so the app has a cost <laughs> for a user so that we can maintain the stuff in order to do that and uh and of course cuz it would be nice to make some money off of the <laughs> right app that you know you spend time developing yeah. but um when it came to apple uh charging someone a subscription fee it is crazy that like from a technical perspective i could easily wire up stripe or whatever and accept money and you know that could be it but uh, then my app wouldn't be on the app store. <laughs> right. Uh, they will just like straight up say like, no, you can't play here. And so I had to use, you know, I had to use the Apple payments and I had to use, you can't even tell people, well, this has apparently changed just now, but up until now, you couldn't even tell people if you want to get a subscription go to the website and sign up there yeah that wasn't allowed and so you just you are if you charged any money for the use of your app for your service attached to your app you had to use their thing and 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 it, you and it was that it was 30 percent 30 percent i think uh, it was 30 percent something crazy like that fee. yeah um yeah apple's commissions is 30 percent yeah yeah so they made it after they got big blowback, they made it so that if you're not making over a million dollars a year, I think it was, then you can pay 15%, which is still an enormous yeah. tax and just to have your app in the app store. And, um, and as you, as everyone knows, uh, uh, Apple users on Apple on an iPhone, you can't just in, go and install another app store right. or another app repository. And so uh, it's very frustrating to be able to do to provide your app on iOS. You have to do that. Um, yeah. And uh, the Play Store still, ha you know, required that thirty percent as well. And uh, and you can get other app stores on Android, but uh, <laughs> how many people actually have them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, when all this started blowing up in the news with Epic Games and, and uh, you know, governments actually looking into this, I was kind of happy because it's just a tax and it's, it's kind of like an arbitrary one. I know that Apple makes a ton of money off the App Store, like billions and billions of dollars, but it's frustrating that you're not even allowed. Like, it doesn't seem right to not even be to say... Like, here's another way you can pay for my service. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's bananas to me. Like, and, and the, I think, isn't there something like a first nations clause in there too, where, or not first nations. What, what is that called? Favored nations. That's what it is. 
um, where you can't. I don't, um, I don't know about that. You never heard about that? Where it's like, if you have the if you have the app on other app stores, you can't charge more on Apple's store. Be oh yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, that's crazy. That is, I had forgotten about that, Garner. But that is really crazy. Like yeah. the. I think yeah. I think Valve has something like that too on their um on their on on Steam. Like you can't try like if you if you sell your game on Humble and you sell your game on Epic and you sell your game on Steam, they have to be the same price or else you can't sell your game on Steam. Even though Valve takes a bigger yeah, cut. Yeah, that's a little that's fr- it's a little frustrating. Um yeah. I remember actually seeing that I, in Apple stuff, but it Yeah, and that's it's not I don't think that's man that stuff is just really fr- super frustrating as an app developer because yeah. you're you're encountering this this thing which some people get maybe they feel like they get that a lot of value out of using Apple's payment infrastructure but yeah you know like if you're if you're willing to host your own payment infrastructure, or you have another provider that you're, uh, you know, you shouldn't be forced to enter a relationship that is, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, uh, it, I'm trying to think of like, it's just like, and it. See, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to find the words. <laughs> yeah, well, what it is is it's a it's a dark patterns, right? What what they want yeah. is, um, they want to entrain, and I'm talking specifically about Apple and Google here. They want to entrain end users to not think about payments, because if they're not thinking about payments, then they're going to spend more. And so if yeah. if Apple has a slick one click, you know, you click the button to, to buy the thing, you click the button in the pop up to confirm your purchase and you've bought whatever. That's what Apple wants. They don't want you to have to decide, am I going to use Apple Pay? Am I going to use a credit card? Am I going to use Stripe? Am I going to use PayPal? Because if you think about it, you're less likely to buy the thing. And if you think about it. And you go with an alternative, that's a lost sale. And if you think about it and you decide uh, that you don't want to buy the thing, actually, then that's a lost sale. And Apple makes less money that way. But if Apple can be the sole controlling, like uh, the sole arbiter of, you know, purchases on iOS, then they can, like, implement these dark patterns that remove the barrier and make people spend more and that's really what this is all about i think yeah but you know the thing that's really frustrating about this is um for a while they were like essentially like oh yeah well we host all these applications on the app store you know for the for the companies that develop these applications and there's cost associated with that and, you know, it takes a lot to distribute this stuff to to all these, you know, iPhone users. And and so, you know, it's it's fair that we take a certain amount of what they make off of that. And but then, like, when you look at some of the court documents that came out in their battle with Epic, 
you see that like this is actually like one of their most profitable parts of their business. Like, yeah, they're not just covering costs; they're like making a ton of money. Well, I mean, off of the app store, yeah, and these, right. This tax, and I think that it's fair for Apple to charge uh, and be the sole payment processor of like when you buy an app from the store, but to control in-app purchases is obscene to me, right? Like it, it's obscene to me. Like that is beyond the pale of ridiculousness. And, and, but that's where they make most of their revenue. And it's like, so of course they're going to try and defend it, but they, I don't think they have any standing uh, to be to to argue that they could be the sole uh, purchase, you know, the sole uh, point of purchase for all of these applications. One when you've when you've moved out of their app store and into an app, like it's crazy. Yeah, but you know what's even crazier about this is how is it still that there's just one app store allowed on iOS? Because didn't yeah didn't Microsoft get sued by the United States government for yeah. uh, shipping like internet ex- or what was it? it for it was an antitrust case and it was around Internet Explorer. Yeah, and you know, like this is just as an- anti-competitive or anti, you know, as uh, more so I think than. Yeah like trying to force everyone to use your browser. Like there's literally one way on iOS to get, uh, to get applications. Like that seems, you know, just as bad, if not way worse. Yeah. So anyway, it's, um, it's bananas. I'm with you there. I, I think that like they shouldn't be able to be the only app store on iOS. Like, um, I just don't, I don't think that, uh, like you said, I mean, the the antitrust case against um, Microsoft is is like prime, (laughs) a prime example of why they shouldn't be allowed to be the only one. Um, But I don't know, man, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, Hopefully, you know, I I don't like rooting for Epic, but hopefully Epic wins um, against Apple here. And uh, I'm glad that South Korea has at least gone as far as they did with the payment stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Did we even say what, what South Korea did? <laughs> they passed a law, yeah. <laughs> they, they passed yeah. a law that makes it so they can't be the only, the only ones. And that's, that's a good thing, too. I mean, that, that will have a knock-on effect because uh, if, you know, if that means that Apple has to create the infrastructure to allow other payment processors on ios then maintaining two separate ones for different dirt jurisdictions it doesn't make a lot of sense right so yeah that's a that's a good thing I, i'm i'm excited about that yeah me too me too yeah i'm not gonna lose any sleep over <laughs> over um apple having to open up their platform a bit more and and uh and i'm glad google you know we didn't talk enough about I'm glad Google has to do this too. Yeah. Although, you know, at least there's more choice on on Android. Definitely. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um also glance.money looks pretty sick. 
thanks. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Cool. Uh, you want to talk about the the Windows 11 stuff? Yeah, you'll have to tell me though. I I I should have done my homework before this podcast, but uh, I haven't <laughs> read anything on Windows 11, so I know nothing. Oh man, you're better off. <laughs> Windows 11 is just. I think Windows 11 is going to be the next like Windows Vista. It's I, I, like it it has higher like uh, minimum requirements. Um, than, than Windows 10 does. Um, the UI actually looks kind of nice in a lot of ways, but it also has a lot of like incongruent features. And, 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 and this is from someone who's used like that leaked beta that came out a couple, like last month or the month before. Okay. But like, um, it's kind of the same criticism I had of KDE. Like, it's just like these Microsoft's, user interface design is just like all over the place. It's just scattershot. Um, and so from a design standpoint, you know, I'm a designer by trade and I'm like, dude, I can't, I don't know what is going on with windows 11. Like some of the new things that they have implemented look great. And then the rest of it is like baffling decisions that, uh, make no sense. Have you, have you used, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, should I just describe what I'm seeing in the screenshot here? Yeah, please. Like the in the screenshots? Okay, so so fresh, fresh. I haven't seen anything. All right. <laughs> so there's there's no start menu in the bottom left-hand corner. It looks like they've yeah. moved that along with any icons that would be generated from the start menu out to the right. All of that's moved to the center of this bar that runs across the bottom, their task bar or whatever yeah. they they call it. And uh including the start menu, like the little windows. Um and there are two now. There are two. There's a it looks like there's a start menu or windows icon for the start menu. And then there's a magnifying glass next to that. So maybe yeah. I don't know, maybe that will be searching like across applications and files on the the desktop i don't know i'll have to yeah. click around and see more screenshots but yeah and then uh the next yeah, the they, next one over is a task switcher oh is that what that is i think so and then okay, the one so after the, oh, oh actually i sorry, think that's the a, desktop switcher and then there's a task switcher next to that okay all right and then uh yeah and then they've got the wind in this in this uh screenshot they've got the windows store pulled up and uh or Microsoft Store, sorry, <laughs> Microsoft Store, and uh, and they've got TikTok pulled up, which is interesting. Do you see what the button uh, says? What does it say? Get from the Amazon App Store. Yeah. So, huh. at my, you can now install Android apps on Windows Eleven. <laughs> 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 the silence yeah i love it <laughs> i was thinking about what i thought about that um i yeah because you're going to be using tick i don't know are you going to be using tiktok on your 
from the Amazon App Store on your Windows machine. It's a crazy world we live in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but here's a fun fact about Windows 11. Are you ready for this? You probably haven't heard about this one. Uh, okay, go ahead. The first generation Ryzen CPUs and the equivalent generation of uh, Intel CPUs are not supported by Windows 11. First generation Ryzen. Okay. Yeah. So Ryzen 18, you know, 1800X, which is what I have in my, C- my PC right now. All right. Just let me do a search here. I'm not up on the uh, exact year that that came out. Let's see. Uh, where can I even find that? I think it was 2018. That's not going to work? No. Why? Uh, because it doesn't have the the uh, TPM module uh, that's required by... Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... That's Microsoft, the yeah, uh, and there was so much backlash about uh, Windows 11 not supporting older processors that Microsoft was like, "Okay, okay, okay, you can install it on any CPU, but we're gonna have so to do software TPM, and that's gonna slow it down really, really bad. So you really don't want to use any any uh, any CPU that doesn't have the required TPM module." So to have the correct experience, you have to have a a uh a cpu that was no no pre-covid cpus <laughs> that's just like it's just not allowed like like there's a point you know that that we just like t- everything before this point is just invalid now like and yeah. and if it, did, it wasn't born in the pandemic you just can't use it okay i understand yeah. i don't I don't understand it all, actually. I'm really This is Microsoft's Brave confused. New World over here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, uh, yeah, it's... I don't know what to think about that. I Software yeah. TPM, that's what they're like, come out and they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess there is a way that we can do it. And we'll do it. We'll do that. Man. Yeah. Why? Like, I mean, I'm sure that... I mean, pirating Windows has happened since time and, and <laughs> since the beginning of time. Like the, I thought they had just accepted that at this point. Is oh, well, yeah. what else is the what? Okay, well, hold on. Let me. I, I the TPM is not new to me, but let me let me just check it out here. See see what Microsoft says. What does the TPM give me that that makes me so that makes it such an important part of such a you know a requirement for windows 11 let's find out yeah so the tpm basically handles like encryption off the cpu and it allows you to store um uh uh, encryption keys in a secure way basically so what microsoft is trying to do what they said they're trying to do with with requiring tpm version 2 is um they're trying to prevent like fight ransomware basically um Okay, but I don't understand how they're aim to achieve that by requiring TPM too. It might be like that you yeah. need a, a privileged access to re- access the TPM, and otherwise you can't encrypt stuff. But I don't know; it's just ridiculous. 
and and the fact that like when Microsoft announced that you needed TPM two, like the prices for freaking TPM modules on eBay like skyrocketed, dude, <laughs> and people were buying them without even knowing what the heck. Uh, yeah, I, I just uh, this is just a letdown. Like so far, what what I know about Windows eleven is down, which I don't know what much, but. Yeah. Maybe I'll finally watch a video breakdown or <laughs> something and, and yeah. learn a little bit more. But this is already disappointing. And yep. and I have to do all this just so I can download applications from the Amazon App Store <laughs> and have a launcher in the middle of the taskbar. Like, yeah. So that's uh, I'm not pleased uh, with what I've heard so far. But then again, I'm probably not going to install Windows 11 on any of my devices. So. Right. Well, okay, so so pop quiz for you. You have Windows 11 coming out. Uh-huh. What date would you would you release Windows 11 on? Okay. Well, I so I heard you say the date earlier. Yeah. But I'm going to pretend okay, <laughs> like I'm I'm the Windows 11 processor. Okay, let's let's suddenly like that just happens somehow mm-hmm. and um and i'm gonna pick a day for windows 11 well clearly it's gonna be november 11th yeah 11 11 you would think <laughs> <laughs> you would you would think that would be how it works you know like the dreamcast was nine nine ninety nine. great alliterative yeah. right really nice microsoft says nope october 5th <laughs> yeah what is that? Uh, let's look here. Ten five. What is? Uh, yeah, no. I, okay, it's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> remember, remember yeah. the first Tuesday of October. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That's an arbitrary date. Is there an event or something I, happening that day? Or? No, I think literally Microsoft was like, uh, we know everyone wanted it on eleven eleven, but we just can't wait. October fifth. Yeah. They they tweeted that the other day. They did? Yeah, they tweeted that. <laughs> okay, well Alright, whatever. It's that's whatever. I guess people get it earlier. All the people who are just like Are there wind they're Windows fanboys, right? Are there Windows they're, fanboys? Oh yeah, dude. Like, There's a lot of them. Really? Oh yeah. Like I mean I'm sure there are people who like using Windows, but like they're I'm going to have to dig into this a little bit. I guess there is like, what's that website that, Windows that covers Central. Windows? Windows Central. Yeah, I suppose there, yeah. I suppose there must be if there's people turn it, tuning into Windows Central to <laughs> read their tech news. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, uh, we got one more story, and this one's a, a mystery story. I don't know much about this. I just saw it when we were doing our, we were looking at show notes here, uh, and I was like, let's talk about this. So apparently, there's this thing called the United States Digital Core, and uh, the digital, the digital uh, core. I've been calling it the the Digi Core. <laughs> digi Core, Digital Corpsters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I need that on a sound, uh, a little, uh, what is that called? Sound. A soundboard. 
Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. So uh, I've been reading, checking this in the last like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what I see here is uh, that it's a two-year fellowship for early career technologists, where you where you will work every day to make a difference in critical impact areas, including coronavirus response, economic recovery, cybersecurity, and racial equity. And uh, and it's it's for yeah technologists. Uh, so I guess that's people who just get out of I don't know actually like you're who can sign up for this. Let me hit learn more. Yeah, this is actually very interesting to me because this is a U.S. government initiative to bring in uh, young people who are uh, interested in technology and bring them into the public sector not the private sector and i think that that's incredibly important um there are there's there there's too much power and influence in the private sector when it comes to the internet and to and technology and i think that if the government can actually get with the times and have people who know and are passionate about uh technology and they're able to like use the levers of government to make the digital spaces that we all depend on better, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and as someone who's very familiar with uh, a few branches of government and what technology looks like in those um, <laughs> for reasons, yeah. Uh, the the fact is, is that there are a lot of people making decisions in government, very little um technology decisions in government with very little of yeah technology of, of you know computing and and of what your expectations should be and as a result i think as you know and this is a u.s centric story because this is the u.s digital core but there are a lot of poor decisions made i think where it's just like a contractor you know bids for a job and it's like yeah we can do the thing you know and you spend <laughs> lot the government spends lots and lots of money for really um in my opinion suboptimal solutions yeah. and so uh it's actually a, you know um it's actually a good thing i think to get some people who act who know what they're talking about into government and and and, and frankly like in my experience, well, actually, you can ask most people working for, especially the federal government, what in, in like IT, like what, how would you describe, you know, your job? And it's like, and I've heard this multiple times, like the technology of uh, yesterday, today. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. Uh, and so anything we can do to combat and not be, you know, five years behind. I yep. think is is good. Five, try is fifteen. Really I... Try twenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. All you have no, to I do is like so. When the pandemic hit, uh, I went and applied for unemployment. Bro, they were using COBOL. Like they were using websites that were made with freaking uh, that were made to interact with COBOL systems. My dude, like these they everything there's so much antiquated stuff 
like if you if you go to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles website for Maine, it is like so broken and old. Like you can't even like paste stuff into a, an input field because like for some for some reason that might be a, some kind of security risk. You know, because this website was made in like ninety two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like these. Yeah, they don't even they don't have any concept of like what JavaScript is. They're probably running on like you know PHP version like two or something, or or yeah. or like .NET you know CGI stuff like ASP. Like, it's just this is probably so, so much of it is so outdated, and I think that it's more than fitting that the u.s government has this kind of initiative to 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 bring people in uh into careers in the public sector i don't even like i don't even think like just government but like just the public space you know like the post office nasa that kind of stuff and look at the the description of who they're looking for is pretty broad which is good it's an acknowledgement of uh of the fact that there are many ways in which to come across the skills needed to do this stuff because it says they're looking for people coming out of undergraduate and graduate degree programs, apprenticeships, boot camps, reskilling, and other training programs. Mm. So it's pretty broad. I, I think about this because uh, uh, maybe the internet doesn't know this, but um, I don't have a college degree. I, I for years and then I got a job data center. I took it and, you know, just continued my career from there. Um, but there are some government jobs that I looked on, looked at earlier in my career uh, for applying uh, to apply to that um, they wouldn't even talk to me because uh, I was because I didn't have a college degree, even though what they were describe what the job was, you know, like. I was a would have been a great fit for, or I was overqualified for, mm-hmm. you know, an actual experience. But <laughs> yeah, they'll throw you out just because of just because of that. Yeah, I I, I don't have a college degree either, I, and I know a lot of 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 people in our situation where they you know they have a ton of experience, like real world on the job practical experience, and and a lot of like companies don't care about like if you have a degree or not they care about where you are like what kind of experience you have but like most of the government jobs in the technology sector require uh you know college degrees and it's like why (laughs) like i don't know especially when it comes to college uh, when it comes to like computers like college isn't necessary like if you're I'm not going to go on a. I'm not going to go on that rant. Actually, never mind. But <laughs> like, the, it, it, it's like, I'm just happy that this this program exists. Like, and I I need to do more research about it, obviously. But like, from what I've seen so far, just looking over it here, um, you know, live on air, I, I what I'm seeing like makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, between this and uh, the. Um... Uh, well, gosh, what's it called? It's like the um, open source initiative that uh, I've seen. I think it's the federal government's open source initiative. I don't remember what it's called. Coding for America? No, it, maybe it's maybe that's uh, something else. But uh, I've seen a lot of great stuff coming out of um, the U.S. government, like for the past few years, 
trying to be better about uh, how technology is developed and used in the government. And this just seems like an, another practical step to, to move that along. And that's, that's great. Yeah. Is it code.gov sharing America's code? That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Code.gov. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's it. Nice. Yeah. Stuff, stuff like that is really encouraging. Um, and I've seen some of the people that have been put in, uh, I don't remember what they call the, these positions now, but essentially like CTO, um, for America, or I don't remember what it is. I think that might be it though. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's, they actually have some like really like interesting people, um, you know, in positions, uh, in decision-making positions, um, at least in the, in the upper echelons of the, the federal government. Um, mm. so anyway, I'm hopeful. Um, but <laughs> yeah, me too. This yeah. is, it, this is the kind of thing that like, you know, the government should be doing is trying to get, you know, more people involved, a, a more diverse array of people involved, uh, in technology and, um, preparing people to work, uh, for, you know, in, in the public sector to do like good things that are beneficial for the country and the world, you know, like, I don't know. I'm not going to go on that rant either, but I, I, I just, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I see stuff like this and it, and it gives me hope. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, we'll track, we'll track that. Maybe we'll see some, some interesting initiatives coming out of the, the digital core, <laughs> the digital core, digital core. <laughs> nice. Yep. Cool. Well, I, you know what, though, Ryan? I want to know what our listeners think about this or any of the stories that we've talked about today. Um, right. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, you can leave a comment or you can send us an email, show at offtopical.net. Um, yeah. Cool. And what about you? Where, where can they follow you? Oh, they can follow me on Twitter at Gardner underscore Bryant. Uh, I'm also on YouTube, Gardner Bryant. Uh, and yeah, well, how about you? Where can they follow you, Ryan? Uh, they can follow me in the Fediverse. At, oh my gosh. Uh, at Ryan Lee Sipes at mastodon.social. They can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Lee Sipes. And uh, yeah, and uh, if they're interested in what I'm doing in my day job, they can follow at Moz Thunderbird on Twitter. Um, I'm Ooh. just now back on Twitter. Uh, I took a couple month uh, break from Twitter and that that was kind of interesting it's it's it was kind of a relief not to be plugged into the torrent that is twitter but <laughs> i'm back now and and uh my I'm condolences gonna, yeah <laughs> but uh yeah uh so follow me on there and uh and i'll try to post regularly what i'm up to nice cool well thank you everyone for listening to the episode uh we're gonna try and do this every week from now on uh Thank you, Ryan, for being here. Um, this has no been problem. a lot of fun, my dude. And uh, we're gonna I we're agree. gonna we're gonna do this every week. So uh, yeah, we'll see you guys yep. in the next one. Have a great day. <laughs>